Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Furkan Dandia. In this week's episode, I'm super excited to welcome Donald Sweeting, also known as Deej, who is an online coach and personal trainer. Deej trains busy dads to help them get in shape. And he first decided to become a personal trainer to help with his self-esteem and control his narrative. Deej is an ambitious person who constantly seeks to improve his mind and body. It is his goal to help his clients get in shape. His proudest achievement came in 2021 when he placed third in the Two Bros Pro Naturals Classic competition. Deej has always admired the sport as he believes it is the personification of self-mastery. He feels getting in shape isn't a punishment, and on his worst days, he knows how hard it is to push himself to the gym, but those are the times he knows it is the most important to go. In this episode, Deed shares his fitness journey, early childhood experiences with trauma, and inability to express emotions. He also shares his journey of becoming a father and how he realized he needs to be mindful of carving out time for his physical health. Deej and I also discuss how it is important for fathers to prioritize their health, family, and work without feeling guilty. Deej finally shares how he works with clients to help them find time for exercise and physical activity, including their diet. Please find Deej on Instagram at thedadbod underscore coach and online at fitparentproject.co.uk. I really hope you enjoy this episode, and if at the end, if you could leave a five-star review, I would truly appreciate it. Hey, Deej, welcome to the Easy Conversations podcast. Super grateful and thank, thankful for you taking the time and coming on here. I know it's taken us a few tries, hopefully <laughs> the last one, but uh, yeah, I'm really excited to have you on here. And uh, before we get started, I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself talk about what it is that you do and where you're based and then we'll get into our conversation today no worries so yep yeah, i'm deej i'm based over in the uk um i work as an online coach kind of particularly working with um dads at the moment so helping dads ditch the dad bod uh, kind of ditch that stereotype of once you're a dad kind of like you let yourself go and more teaching people principles on how they can regain kind of like their purpose. So a lot of people lose themselves into being a dad mm -hmm. rather than remembering that you, you have a purpose. Like there is a reason why you're here. Like, yes, you need to provide, but you also need to look after your health and to be around for your kids as well. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been an interesting journey. So like I compete as an actual bodybuilder myself. I have three kids, two stepsons who are 12 and 18 and my own little girl who is four. So my whole process is taking what I learned from being a natural bodybuilder and competing at like the highest end of like physique sports, simplifying that down and making it easy to digest so that your everyday dad can get in better shape, but also then have that balance between having a job providing for your family having a career which is obviously very very important but also spending quality time with your family as well as staying like fit and healthy and it's it's that balancing of those big three that i think most guys really struggle with they 
either absolutely kill it at work but have a terrible relationship with their kids or they've got a brilliant relationship with their kids they do all right at work but they've let their health mm-hmm. kind of go onto the back burner so it's all about understanding what are like the most important things in all those areas and just making sure you're ticking off the important things in all three and learning to let some stuff go mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah no thank you for sharing that and just to understand a little bit better, why is it something that you're passionate about, like working with dads specifically? Um, what is it about just dads that, you know, you want to focus on? So for me, I became a stepdad like quite early. Like there's a bit of an age gap between myself and my partner. And she has two children from a previous marriage. So when I was like 23, 24, I got thrown in at the deep end with a 12 year old who's about to be a teenager. Um, and to be honest, I'll, my life didn't really change that much. I could still be very, very selfish. Um, I was still playing rugby at the time. So I'd be out all day on a Saturday. I'd still go to train on a Wednesday. I worked in a gym um, across the different hours because like the boys would like stay with their dad like half the time, like, it was very, very easy for me to be able to keep my lifestyle pretty much how it was. I just needed, needed to make some basic tweaks to it. Whereas when my little girl came, that's a completely different kettle of fish looking after a baby compared to looking after like a five to 12 year old, especially mm-hmm. when you've got another parent there that they can kind of go to half of the time. So I, like, I stopped playing rugby. Um, just because it, I didn't think it was fair that I was leaving my partner completely on her own, like for that long. Mm-hmm. Um, so because I stopped playing rugby, my training then didn't really have a purpose, which then meant I was still training, but I wasn't really pushing myself. I was just going in, doing a bit of this, a bit of that, following programs I didn't really, wasn't really passionate about. So I wasn't putting 100% effort in, put on a load of weight. So by like when I look at my like photos where I'm like out of shape I've had people like trolls online go like you're not even out of shape but that's me having since being about 12 having a body fat percentage of less than 15 percent like forever it never gone higher than that going to the point where I was at like 20 25 percent and like for me that felt incredibly big like I've got heavier now on purpose like in an off season but that was just by accident that's just not training and not eating well so basically I got out of shape I was feeling really like down and depressed Mm -hmm. I was doing 35 hours a week as a personal trainer Like my business was doing really, really well, but I didn't feel happy in myself. Like I looked in the mirror and I wasn't proud of like what I saw. And as I said, because I'm in this industry, there's always that thing of like, I should be shredded. I should be leading by example. Like who's going to listen to a personal trainer that's kind of like overweight. So at that time I didn't really have a coach or a mentor that could help me like navigate these things and help me interpret and bring into my life like what would work and what wouldn't and then basically one day I think it was like a November 2018 it would have been so when I was like five six months old I just decided you know what next year I'm going to compete 
So messaged a guy I'd followed for a little while that was a coach that I knew. It was like, this is the goal. Jumped on a phone call with him, um, signed up, and then we went straight into a recomp phase. And then I stepped on stage the next year and loved it. Like, So it's just kind of gone from there. Like For me now, it's about being that guy that I needed when Willow was first born. So I think a lot of men get trapped in that stage of, right, my partner's just gone on to maternity leave. Like, I'm the breadwinner now. Mm-hmm. I've got to go out there and I've got to crush it in terms of, like, work. So work comes first, then family, then self. Mm. And what happens is, as your child gets older and gets more independent, you essentially need to flip that on its head. Like remembering that you are only as good as this vessel Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's taking you through this life. If you let your health and your mental health suffer, you're not going to be bringing your A game to your family. You're not going to be bringing your A game to your work because you're going to be running. You can run like your health into the ground for three, six, 12, 18 months, a couple of years before there's any real effects of it. But Mm -hmm. once you're doing that for an extended period of time, you're going to experience things like brain fog, you're not going to be clear, you're not going to be confident. If you've got to stand up in front of a a room full of people and give a presentation that's doing thousands of dollars or thousands of pounds, like standing up and feeling, oh no, my tummy's holding, hanging over my my, uh, trousers. I need to kind of like suck that in like, all these things play on your mind kind of like subconsciously. Mm -hmm. So understanding and taking control of yourself and developing that self-discipline kind of bleeds over into these other areas that Mm -hmm. actually make you a better father and makes you better at your job. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something we'll get into. Uh, I'm very interested in covering that, but you did touch on something I wanted to discuss with you and and I think you've mentioned it before too, um, not right now, but there is an aspect of mental health and, you know, just knowing your story from childhood, why do you think like, you know, the physical health, how does that correspond to, to mental health? And, you know, if, for, for the listeners, if you don't mind walking through your early uh, childhood life and, and how, you know, this was impacting your mental health as well. Yeah, so kind of going right back to like when I was probably a teenager, like my my family don't have great coping mechanisms for emotional stress. Mm-hmm. My dad is an exploder, so he wears his emotions on his sleeve. If he's having a bad day, everybody around him is also having a bad day. And then my mom was a barrier so Mm. literally just would internalize everything take on everybody else's problems but then not talk about it so i've got the two extremes of coping with stressful situations that are completely polar opposites and nowhere in the middle to learn and understand that emotions are normal feelings are normal and actually it's probably it's good to express them you don't just want to bury them So then when my parents' relationship broke down when I was about 15, I didn't have any of these coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. in order to be able to deal with any of that. So 
I took more after my mum's approach. I became a barrier. I became the rock for my family to unload all their stuff on and I would internalize everything. But then that turned me very, I was a very angry teenager then, but mm. there was no, I couldn't lay out on my dad because I was really good friends with my dad and I couldn't lay out with my mum because my mum was a barrier. So I then would play sport and I'd play rugby. I'd play contact sport where I'd then be able to go and take all that anger and frustration and just be able to go and just hit people for 90 minutes like every week and that was my vent that was my that was my coping mechanism and then when I kind of got through college and university having studied sport and exercise science and things like that like I discovered a love for the gym because that would make me better at rugby but also it's all it's like what's it called is it masochistic where you that little bit of pain Mm. So you're having a bad day, you go to the gym, you take that external pain and you internalize it by going and tearing down your muscles and turning that negative emotion into a positive outcome as in like I would look and feel better. I'd feel I'd be strong. I'd be able to take on everybody kind of else's problems. Mm. And it wasn't until kind of like my mid twenties when, as I said, I'd gone through this breakdown. I'd then gone through my first bodybuilding show and sorry, no, it's probably before that, before that I had a bit of a mental breakdown mm-hmm. of essentially when Nat- Natalie was pregnant with Willow, I was terrified that I was going to become my father mm. suddenly yeah. So that's where then I got into more things like the talking therapies. I went to see a, well, we, it had to all be on Zoom at that point. Yeah. Um, so I went to see a therapist and we just talk through things and understanding that emotions are normal and it's, it's normal. Everything that I was feeling was completely normal and that I didn't need to bottle it up. I just needed to speak and express and be open and honest and since then I've been able to find different networks of people that kind of be able to kind of like do that but I know whenever I'm having a crisis Mm -hmm. that nine times out of ten I'm having a crisis because in my head things are spiraling out of control and I'm starting to focus on the things that I cannot control. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, it feels like you're in that victim mentality and the world is happening to you. Yeah. And something that you can 100% take control of is the food that enters your body and the movement that you do with it. Like nobody can force you to eat something if you don't want to eat it. And nobody can say to you, you can't move. Like they are things that you can control. And nine times out of 10, if you take control of those things and you start to make a positive impact in it, it has a snowball effect onto other areas of your life. You start to look at things in the the best example I've got is like when you pick up the 10 pound dumbbells and you do chest press and 10 reps feels really bloody hard. And then next week you might get 12. And the week after you get 13 and then 14 and then 15. And then you get to 20 and you go, I want to try the 15 pound dumbbells now. Mm -hmm. And then I can get 10 on that again and I can get 12 and get 15. And after three months, you've gone from using 10 pound dumbbells to using 25 pound dumbbells. 
Like if you went into the gym on day one and tried to pick up the 25 pound dumbbells, you wouldn't have been able to do it. But it's just showing that consistency and over time, putting yourself in uncomfortable situations again and again and again, eventually you're going to be able to deal with more. And then that crosses over into everyday life. When you're facing problems and you're facing challenges, you start to recognize that challenges are just opportunities for you to learn or grow. Mm-hmm. And when you can face them with that attitude, the, the sad truth is like problems are always going to come your way. The only thing that happens is you get better at solving problems. You get bigger problems to solve, yeah. which is a bit of a, a bit of a kick in the balls when you kind of think about it. But the people that are successful in life are the people that solve big problems. Yep. And the thing is that they, they're the ones that make more money. They're the ones that have better relationships. They're the ones that do more things in their communities because people come to them to help them solve problems it's it's human it's our human state in order to be able to solve problems yeah yeah for sure yeah and and i think along with consistency as you mentioned another important thing is patience because whether it's problems in life or even in your example going to the gym if you don't have that patience and and consistency you won't see the results right and and i think a lot of people forget that in everyday life so, so you mentioned that, you know, you were able to realize when you started talking to a therapist that uh, I guess the expression of emotions was something that you struggled with, but after going through therapy, um, how has that changed? How have you been able to manage that now, rather than, as you mentioned before, you were just going to the gym and, you know, pushing yourself hard and not really dealing with the emotions. How has that changed for you now? It's, it's more communication. So it's, if somebody has done something that's upset me before, I just um, bury it under the carpet and kind of just ignore it sort of thing. Whereas now it's more, okay, let me take a step back from this situation so I'm not approaching it in an emotional way. Mm-hmm. somebody said or done something or is an email come through as a client that's doing my head in 24 hours isn't going to make or break it so write an initial response and then sit on it for 24 hours mm-hmm. and then kind of come back to it and then nine times out of ten you pull all the venom out <laughs> and the points that you kind of like want to make you tend to then kind of like make it in a more diplomatic way mm-hmm. the the main one is is communicating with my partner so yeah. rather than just i'm having a bad day i become sulky and moody and then she feels like it's her fault it's more communicating look i'm having a tough time at the moment xyz is happening i'm dealing with it just understand that it might affect my mood and it's nothing to do with you you haven't done anything wrong and i apologize in advance if i'm more snappy than i need to be and it's some sometimes for me i still i still get in those moods and i'm still like that but i'm more self-aware of it now so that if I'm in a mood like that and she's like, what's up with you? It's like, you know what? I haven't processed it yet. So I'm not ready to talk about it. I will come to you when I'm ready. 
it's just I, I need some time to figure out what's going on because I still I, I don't know about you but when there's emotions going on and I don't understand them I'm not ready to talk right. and if I talk it makes it worse because I then just get agitated because I can't express myself in the rest the best way mm-hmm. so then it then spirals the whole situation where it then becomes an argument right. whereas if I just need some time to take myself away and go and be quiet and I have an internal monologue all the time <laughs> where yeah. I'm, I'm constantly talking to myself and trying to make sense of kind of like what's going on. Mm-hmm. And the, the monkey in my head is quite self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. So when I'm having that conversation, I have to try and quiet down my monkey that's telling me all these awful things <laughs> yeah. before my human brain can kind of like take over and go, well, actually, thank you for that information, but it's not very useful to me right now. So I'm going to take over here and try and make the best out of this situation. But I appreciate what it is you're saying and everything you're saying is completely valid. Yeah. But and I, I need to handle this situation or else it's going to blow up and it's yeah. going to be a lot worse. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because it, it's true. Like, I think we all have that voice in our head that's trying to feed us information that potentially isn't valuable in that moment. But taking that time is is such a great way to be able to process things. And, and the fact that you can communicate that is also important because then your partner is not like waiting for you. She's not like, when are we going to have this conversation? But you're telling her, well, I just need time and we will have this conversation just maybe a day from now or or so many hours from now, but you're communicating that and that's so important. The the other thing you did mention was, um, you you know, a lot of the, the struggles you started recognizing happened when you were about to expect your daughter. And you mentioned that was probably around the fear of becoming a father. Why was that so much more different than being a father to the two stepsons you have? Um, Because you were still fathering them. Why was it so much more different when your daughter was about to be born? I think because the boy's dad is still such a big part of their life, Mm -hmm. like ultimately yes i'm there as a as a parental figure however i don't get the final say Mm. on a lot of decisions like the boys always know that if i say something and they don't quite agree with it they can always go to their mum to try and get it overturned so it's one of those things where i think if their dad wasn't such a big part of their life like we have a really really amicable relationship with um their dad like we me and natalie went to the their wedding so he's got a new partner we went to their wedding they came to our wedding like we speak they come over like we we want the environment to be as inclusive as possible and there's there's no sort of like anonymity so i think if that wasn't the case and the boys were with us a hundred percent of the time. And like, I was having to make kind of like life choices and stuff for them. It might've been a little bit different, but Mm -hmm. when Willow was pregnant, it was almost like a switch went off in my head of right. Shit's about to get real. You've got 
you've got another human now who you are responsible for making sure that they grow up to be a good human. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's on you. Like, yes, it's on Natalie as well, but that's that's on on me to instill those values. And as I said, me and my own dad have a interesting relationship. Like, I think he suffered a lot of physical and mental abuse when he was a child mm-hmm. and he's bearing the scars of that like getting older and understanding more about mental health and things like that he is very much like a narcissistic abuser but he doesn't realize that mm-hmm. he is so the dynamic between like me and my sister was i was the i was his um what do you call it his feed so he would put me up on a pedestal and he'd set me and my sister almost like against each other. But mm. I was always up on the pedestal. I was his attention. Like he could parade me around like a medal of honor. Like when I was doing well at school, when I was doing well at sport. And when I got into my twenties and I got into a healthy relationship where there was communication and things like that, yeah. when we used to communicate, it was, he was still trying to, do that he was trying to live his life through me and Mm. it was my partner that highlighted that's not normal behavior what he's doing there that's manipulative that's not the way a parent should speak to their child it's almost like we flipped Mm. I became the parent and he was the child like he'd have big emotional outbursts and kind of like things like that so I think when because I was going through that transition period of breaking away from that almost narcissistic a grip that he had on me yeah I was then terrified in my own head that I was then going to that would be then my relationship with my child Mm. yeah so it's probably a combination of the two of the timing of it as well as that obviously they they're not my biological sons like I love them to pieces I love them like they are and they have a great relationship with their own dad so yeah, I think it's a combination of those two things. Yeah, yeah, and, and thank you for sharing that. Uh, it's definitely not easy to talk about, but so as you became a father to your daughter, like how were you able to make sure you were going to do things differently um, as opposed to how you were raised? Because quite often that's the model we have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, to your point, um, you were aware at, at that time that it wasn't a healthy model. So how were you able to do things differently? Well, I think for me, what number one, I've got a great partner. Mm-hmm. So she's already got two children. Yeah. Which meant with it's not we're going into things where she could take a lot of control at the start when they're a baby, and I have no clue kind of like what I'm doing. So having that person there that can say, no, don't do it this way, do it that way. Uh, in terms of like all the basic stuff, in terms of like changing, feeding, knowing what to do. And she is amazing at like doing all the research on like sleep and all that kind of yeah. stuff. She's very, very invested in that. So I'm very, very lucky as in I've got a partner that can kind of do that. And then for me, it's always it's a hard one to kind of like explain I've had, I've had a model of how not to do it. 
Yeah. So I'm almost doing the opposite. <laughs> so if I think, right, what would my dad do in this situation? I almost kind of like do the opposite. Yeah. So I'm very much a believer in like, in like stoicism and that there are only ever two things that happen to us, what actually happens and how we feel about what happens and that every situation you can always take away a lesson. Mm -hmm. So even if the lesson is, that's not how I would do that thing, you can still learn kind of like from that situation. And it's, I think it's just a case of like putting her needs first. Mm -hmm. So trying to be as present as I can when I'm with her, to try and put the phone away, try and at least have an hour or two set aside where the phone goes away and I'm there in what she wants to do. Right. And just remembering that they're only small for like, she's going to school in September. They're only small for a short period of time. Yeah. So just like appreciate that time that you've got when they want your attention, when they want to be the center of your world, because it won't, it won't last forever. And I've got two teenagers now that barely want to spend any time with us. So I know what's coming. So I think I was quite lucky in the fact that I'd gone through the teenage phase with Ben and then Josh, it was, I think he was nine or 10 when Willow was born. Yeah. So I've, I've seen what happens <laughs> when they get older and they're not cute anymore. So I, I think it's made me very much more appreciative of her when she is small and she wants to have daddy and willow time and she wants to have my attention yeah yeah no that's great and thanks for sharing that as well and and i guess one of the things i did want to discuss and and we talked about it as well when i was on your podcast and and we've alluded to it a little bit earlier but when as dads when we're trying to focus on our fitness or physical health um as you mentioned it's tough often to prioritize that physical health with work and family, right? And um, there's often a sense of guilt when we take that time for ourselves. What is it that, first of all, I wanna understand, how are you able to um, navigate that if there is ever any sense of guilt, guilt especially you know, with training and, and doing competitions and stuff like that? And then how are you able to share that with your clients? if they're going through the same mindset of guilt and, and sh you know, shame or whatever. So for me, it's, I try and explain it in that there's within my goals, there's seasons. So when I'm dieting for a show is completely different to when I'm in the off season. <laughs> so when I'm dieting for a show, I have to be a lot more strict. So like my last prep lasted 37 weeks. So what's that? Nine months in a diet. The first 20 weeks, I was probably flexibly dieting. Mm. So my, I eat five or six meals a day. Four of those meals were set and two were like, flexible so i'd still track it and i'd adjust the portion size up and down so it still fitted within some parameters mm. but it meant that i could still eat meals with my family and they kind of like weren't missing out in terms of like training etc i've got um my schedule in terms of training revolves around my childcare. so for example 
Uh, Mondays, I've got Willow most of the day until September anyway. So I train in an evening on the Monday, normally from eight till about half past nine at night. So I've got the garage gym outside. On a Tuesday, she goes to nursery. Mm -hmm. So I'll train at the gym on a Tuesday. On Wednesday, she's at home, but Wednesday's a rest day for me. So Wednesday, I get a lot of work done because my partner's off on a Wednesday. On a Thursday and a Friday, she goes to nursery again. So I'll train in the morning on a Thursday and a Friday. And then on a Saturday, I'll train in the home gym again. Mm-hmm. So, and then a Sunday's a rest day. So I've built my program around what Willow's doing. So I'm looking at the available time that I've kind of got and I worked with it. Like when uh, I first go rewind um 12 months i was only training four days a week because that was the only amount of time that i could set aside for it and it's only tweaking a few things with my work schedule that i was able to find that kind of like fifth day most people can get away with training three or four days a week and still make really really kind of good progress it's just because again what we're trying to work on in terms of like my weak points we needed that extra extra day in order to be able Mm. to do that So how I do that with clients is if they're struggling for time, we will sit down and we will like physically plan out. Well, one, I'll normally ask them, right, how many hours a week are you working? Right. How many hours a week are you commuting? Um, how much time do you set aside to prep your food? We'll go through the 160. So you've got 168 hours in a week. We'll go through and we'll log all the, what's the word non-negotiables so we'll put all the non-negotiables in there the things they absolutely cannot take out of their lives normally that'll come to somewhere between so that's like sleep work and all the things kind of to do with the household that normally comes to out of 168 hours is normally around 130 140 which means you've got 25 to 28 hours that are normally taken up with social media and just crap basically that they don't notice because it's in little blocks of 15, 20 minutes here, there and everywhere. So when people look at it like that and they realize that actually I've got 25 to 30 hours of unproductive time at the moment, I, as a coach, I need five of those three hours of training and two hours for your food. Mm. And when people look at it like that, they go, actually, I do have, I do have five hours. I've still got 25 hours to piss about on Facebook. <laughs> like <laughs> I only need those. And then what we do is we take those, we take those 140 hours and we plot them. So mm-hmm. I bring out a spreadsheet. We go Monday to Sunday across one side and we do hour slots from um, 6 a.m. till 11 p.m. So the first hour, they might still be asleep. And then we'll plot in, right, where do you sleep? Where do you work? Where do you commute? Where do you, you've got, um, I don't know, the kids have got soccer practice. Like, what is it? Let's plan out your week. And you'll, so this is what's called the ideal week planner. Mm -hmm. They plan out the week. And then what you can see is, oh, look, you've got a little pocket of time here and a little pocket of time here. So maybe um, on the way from dropping the kids off at school on a Monday, rather than going and doing this, you're going to go straight from that to go to the gym to then start work a little bit later. Mm. Or you might get an hour lunch break. Right. Can you get a 45 minute session in at lunchtime and eat in 15 minutes? Oh, yeah, that sounds like good. Or it might be, yeah, you're going to really struggle to train like at 5 p.m. because you've got all these extracurricular activities. 
could you get up an hour earlier and train before the kids wake up if you go to bed an hour earlier? Well, right. yeah, that makes more sense. So it's looking at the individual schedule and going, what's going to work for you and what are you accepting of? There's no one size fits all answer. Some people prefer to train late at night. Other people prefer to train late in the morning. Like it's always a case of what's going to work for you as the individual. And then I take my principles rather than the set program and help you break them up and, and slot them into your life in the way that is going to work. Right. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And I think that's well put it. I guess that's, by looking at that and realizing that, you know, it's only five hours out of that 25 hour window, as you mentioned, then perhaps there's not a lot of guilt because that's time that they're wasting anyways, right? Or or yeah. not spending productively, as you mentioned. Uh, so there's no real guilt around, oh, I'm missing out time with family when you have that visual in front of you. So that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you coming on here again and working with me uh, as we were trying to figure things out. But uh, yeah, no, I've really enjoyed it. And thank you for being so vulnerable and honest about your own journey. For people that want to get a hold of you or are interested in your coaching, um, what are some ways they can find you? Yeah. So um, the place I'm most active is on Instagram and that's at the dad bod underscore coach. Um, I am also on YouTube and Facebook under the same kind of like titles, or you can head to my website, which is www.thefitparentproject.co.uk. So on there, it's got a bit more of my story and a bit more information specifically about my coaching program. So if it's more content, go to Instagram. If you want more information specifically about the coaching program or some of the free downloads that I've got, it's thefitparentproject.co.uk. Great. Well, thank you again, Deej. Uh, appreciate you coming on and I'll put all that information in the show notes. So yeah, thanks again. No worries, dude. It's been great to have uh, have this conversation with you and, and thank you for having me on. Thank you for tuning in to another episode as always, please subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy the episodes or leave a comment in the comment section. I always love hearing from you. Thank you again and until next week.